Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. Once again, I have this strange feeling that I'm not only in my kitchen, but also in a virtual conference somewhere. What's going on? <laughs> right. So this is another episode where we are at KitCon, the Continuous Integration and Testing Conference. Uh, this is an open space conference, uh, meaning that uh, we, there's not a fixed agenda and the participants suggest topics. And you and I suggested, hey, how about we record episodes of the Troubleshooting Agile podcast? So here we are. And, and we're joined with uh, uh, several wonderful panelists. Uh, we have Andy, we have PJ, Cirillo, Tim, Rob, and Johnny. And uh, we're going to be um, taking questions and, and topics from the audience. And, uh, and, and Andy has suggested one where he says, you know what? Taylor was right. Wait a minute. Which Taylor? There are a lot of people named Taylor. Help me uh, out. This is Frederick Winslow Taylor, the, uh, the uh, famous uh, inventor of scientific management. Uh, we talk about Taylor a bit in uh, Agile Conversations in Chapter One, and uh, uh, you know because a lot of people would blame uh, modern management practices, put it at the feet of Taylor, saying, "Yep, that's the problem with you know these Taylorist factory ways of working. They're all wrong. That's why we need to move to human-centric ones, unlike Taylor, that bad guy who caused all these bad things to happen." But Andy says that's a bad rap. <laughs> and, I, and I seem to recall that we've done a podcast episode on why Taylor was um, not necessarily so bad previously. So we'll stick that in the show notes. But I, I bet Andy, because I've known him for a very long time, he's very clever, has uh, a slightly different take on it. So tell us, Andy, what, what, what's on your mind? Uh, why are you uh, suddenly a fan of Taylor? Uh, so I think I'm a fan of Taylor because I understood him a little bit better, what he actually wanted. So there, there's, a, there's a lot of different areas in what he wanted and what he wanted to get out of things. Uh, and, but in this particular uh, discussion, I actually want to concentrate on why he's right for how we work. And I want to say the reason Taylor is right for the way a software developer works is because what we have to do to develop software is a Taylorist approach. Uh, so when we're writing software, we're thinking about commanding a computer about how to go through various steps. We need to break it down into the smallest units, write that into our code. We time it. We do like time and motion studies of our code. How does it move around data? We do what Taylor wanted people to do for factories. Now, the thing is that Taylor thought he didn't have a concept really of people. He knew that people <laughs> should be fitted to their jobs, but like, people in society, he wanted it to be harmonious, but he missed an entire theory of psychology and sociology. He just didn't have it, which is why we ended up with what he got. But what he did create was, you could say, the foundation of how we go about creating like software. We break <laughs> our work down. We, we do all of our stuff. Now, the thing is, is that's how we interact with the computer. And here's then, I think, the conundrum that uh, uh, software engineers end up uh, dealing with all the time is when we're interacting with the computer, that is a very reasonable mindset. It, it works really well. It's when we start interacting with other humans that it all falls apart because we look at if, if you kind of shift your, if you don't shift your mindset, when you look up from your keyboard, uh, you, you run into all sorts of problems because you start trying to act with people like their computers and you can uh, break down their work into these small tasks and you can time them and you can uh, arrange them just so. Uh, and in that world, the Taylorist model breaks down. So I agree that Taylor is bad for that. But Taylor's ideas about scientific management, when we look at our computers, when we look at the, the mechanical systems that we create, 
they, I think they fit pretty well and they give us some interesting ideas. You know, the interesting thing, and in hearing you describe that, it made me think uh, you, when you described that Taylor didn't have the idea of, of humans acting the way we do now, it made me think, well, Taylor was a product of his times. You know, it, we scientifically, we, we lived in a mechanical universe at the end of the 19th century, right? We didn't, we didn't have quantum mechanics. We didn't have, we, the, the belief was that we could measure everything. We could, if we knew everything about the state of the universe, we could predict literally everything that was going to happen. But this is the, the clockwork universe. The U.S. patent office was going to shut down because the, everything that had been invented <laughs> could be invented had been. Uh, that's right. And so in that in the, the Taylor's uh, model um, it re reflected essentially how the science, the view of science of the universe was at the time. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he had, he had no, like he was, he was doing this at the same time Freud was, con was starting to create his theories. Uh, he, 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 he was very closely followed by Lewin and Lewinian uh, thinking about uh, systems for social systems. Those just didn't exist at his time. Uh, there was nothing for him to build on. The only thing he had to build on actually was uh, religious convictions about harmony and be good to your neighbor. Yeah. And that was a driving force for him. So Taylor wanted harmonious relationships between management and labor. It's just, he didn't know how to do it. Right. He kind of lacked, lacked the tools. It's interesting because I think probably the framework that, that Squirrel, you and I talk about most frequently on the podcast, and certainly one that we invoke in the book, as the key driver for why conversations were so important was the Kinevin framework, where we look at problems in different domains and we, we uh, look at simple, uh, uh, com complicated, complex, and uh, chaos uh, domains. And you might say like in, in Taylor's world at the time, we, we didn't, there was only complicated uh, and simple problems. And, and his approach was saying, well. Well, he, uh, he only thought there were, there actually were a lot of other ones. Yes, he, exactly. He didn't know it. He didn't, he didn't have that framework then. Yeah. That's right. And it's a sign of how mental models really constrain our, 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 our thinking. Uh, and, and so, you know, what, what is the, what's the problem when people, you know, work to, to, to try to treat the humans in, in the system in the same mechanical process as we treat our software. What, what, <laughs> what happens? And I'll just help out our listeners. If they're trying desperately to Google Kinevin, it's very difficult. That's because it's extremely hard to spell being Welsh. So it's C-Y-N-E-F-I-N. And if you're not sure, look in the show notes, go for it, Andy. What, what's your view? So uh, why does the Taylor uh, approach go so horribly wrong? I think it goes wrong um, it goes wrong because it assumes that uh, the epitome of human action is rep repetition. Um, it had it the the framework that he created. He created the the um, the basis of industrial engineering. And industrial engineering is basically the idea of how do you create production lines. Uh, in some ways, I, 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 I haven't thought about this too much, but I, I think that you could even say industrial engineering is to factories as software engineering is to software. Mm. Um, uh, so they, he created that discipline. And if you think that humans are just like a CPU where they take instructions and they just do it, well, you're missing everything about what makes a human a human. First of all, uh, you, you start, um, you miss out on local knowledge. Uh, uh, Taylor did not have, <clears throat> he didn't really have much of a sense that the, the local worker 
would know enough about what was trying to be achieved that they could make good decisions. A cog doesn't know the purpose of the machine it's part of. Yeah. Uh, and he also, uh, also assumed that people are only incentivized by money. Mm. Um, so he created uh, systems. He created systems, <clears throat> to be clear, Taylor created a lot of this stuff, but just like Agile, it turned into a cargo cult. He didn't really <laughs> want that to happen. He was like, no, there's these principles and I analyze a system and I come up with these ideas of things to try. And then people just started applying what he had said. Um, so he created uh, peace pay. So for each item of work that someone does, they get paid. Uh, and his, his idea was he actually wants to reduce the amount of effort people need to put into work and increase their pay. Um, but of course, then for others, that turned into, well, now use the pay as a pressure point rather than for him, it was use the pay as a reward, as an incentive. So he, which is a great idea and that does exist, but he didn't have any idea of beyond that people uh, having a sense of um, accomplishment in their job or a sense of community or social connection to, to the people around them. Um, so basically the idea of looking at a process and thinking about how does the whole thing work out. Value stream mapping is a thing we talk about now. Um, he would have said, absolutely do all of that stuff. And then he would have been blind to, well, what are the social dynamics that allow people to actually execute this robustly and um, continually? Uh, for him, that just didn't exist. Once you, once, you, once you created the process, once you had it described, then you'd expect humans to mechanically execute it. Yeah. And, th and that was another thing is within the world that he was working in, things didn't change that fast. Like we, we you'd hear about it and you're like, oh, the world was changing so fast. Well, for them, it was like it was going from a, a, a cycle of centuries to create new things to a cycle of uh, decades to create new things. Um, and so like he could set up a factory and a process and it could run like that for years. Um, but like our software systems, the products we're trying to do, generally we don't set it up and then it runs for years. And when it does, that's back to the idea of automation and the software. We've done the Taylorist approach and we've created our software where it just sits there and runs for years and we don't have to touch it. You know, that, that one thing, Andy, that talks in, in hearing you do this recap, I'm, I'm struck in part because I know that one of the things that, that what Taylor brought in and the idea that there could be simple answers <laughs> uh, uh, was actually an innovation. Yes, yeah, absolutely. He came from the world of craftsmanship. Uh, I won't go on to a rant about software craftsmanship. He came <laughs> from a world of craftsmanship where how you did the job was seen as almost like a mystic art. And he said, no, no. You, you use a shovel and you move the dirt <laughs> and you carve the wood on a lathe using this pattern. You like." He was just like, no, you can break it down. You can have knowable, repeatable parts. There, there are, there are actually best practices. If you're, if you, when you have simple problems, there are best practices, and and there is one best practice for a simple job. Uh, and you're using simple with a capital S there from the uh, from the Kinevan framework, where it's something that is well known and understood, and anybody can learn it. 
That's right. And 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 in in high performing organizations today, Toyota, that idea is still is still is is leveraged. And I remember uh, hearing that they they talked about in a particular. Uh, you know, uh, uh, every assembly station that kind of has the same characteristic. They said, like, for this job, the the best person can do this bit of work in 12 seconds. That's the fastest person can do in 12 seconds, and the slowest person can do it in 12 seconds. And the reason is because it's the same simple action. And whenever someone in- innovates and finds a new way to do it, and they they can lower their time from 12 seconds to 11 seconds, they teach it to everyone, and everyone now is 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 better. And that's because there are elements that are simply simple, and there is a best practice, and uh, and uh, and so that we, that's a, that was a real innovation uh, that that may have hit its limits, but there it, it's, it doesn't it doesn't go away. We still have some problems that are like that. And but in that description you just gave, there is the a key non-Taylorist innovation that he did not have which is that uh, at least our understanding of the way Toyota does that is that the workers pay attention to what they're doing and they find out where are their little issues, where are their improvements that could be made. They try them out and then they change the handbook and that gets propagated to everyone. Taylor would never have conceived of that. You, You could say that maybe he would have eventually gotten to it, would have discovered it through his values, but he couldn't think of it yet. And so what we know is Taylorism does not include that. That's right. So there's a, and, and that is a key innovation because what it says is that the humans are a valuable component of a system. And to Taylor, humans were a steam engine. <laughs> so, so what I hear from this is Taylor was right as far as he went. So we should understand the lessons of Taylor and because they still apply to some of what we do today. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, uh, we've had a fantastic panel here. I think Andy's done done most of the talking for this one. We've had lots of uh, nods and comments uh, along the way from from everyone here. I uh, want to thank all of you for coming along here in person, well, in virtual person at KitCon. Listeners at home, if you're interested in engaging with us on this topic, you want to ask us questions, you want to tell us more, that's at conversationaltransformation.com. That's where you can find email, Twitter, everything else. And we'll be back again next week, probably not at KitCon again. We'll, we'll, we'll get out of the virtual space and back into uh, uh, our next topic. So come back and listen to us next Wednesday. Thanks, Jeffrey. And thanks, KitCon. Thanks, Roll. <laughs>